right team, so welcome to episode 15 of the Coaching Confidence Podcast. Today is a special day because I am joined by five times CrossFit Games athlete, Calm Porter, all the way from Sydney. He's got up especially early to be here today with you guys and I'm buzzing to get through a heap of questions, some of them which have come in from you guys and some of them which I have written down uh, for Calm to answer. Now, as always, if you want to get your questions in, and answered live on the podcast, then the simple thing to do is follow me on Instagram and then slide hard into those DMs, guys. You know that you can just ask any question related to these topics and we'll get it done on the podcast. Okay, Khan, my man. Coffee in hand. He's ready to go. Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, first off, why don't we do a cheeky little introduction? How? Why don't you tell the wonderful people how you got into fitness and like a, a brief background of your journey? Uh, sure. So I've been doing, I guess, training for uh, like most of my life. I uh, started, uh, I used to play rugby. I used to do surf lifesaving as well um, uh, growing up. And then, yeah, just kind of mum and dad always made us boys play sport. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of started working out, found CrossFit, started doing that. So you're, you are literally the Aussie dream. Good looking bloke, good hair, played rugby and saves lives. Uh, I don't know if it was, it was exactly, I'd call it the Aussie dream, but yeah, I had like a pretty active grow, uh, like upbringing and stuff. Yeah, it was good. Days, man. All right, so let's get into the meat of this. You know, you're obviously a, a very successful CrossFit athlete. Being to the games five times is no easy feat. What would you say it takes to be a CrossFit Games athlete these days? Um, these days, it's a full-time job if you want to be a CrossFit Games athlete. I think it's one of the... CrossFit's an interesting sport in that it makes it appear as if going to the games is accessible to anyone but I I feel like that's a bit of a like marketing play on their part the fact that anyone can do an open workout anyone can compete against um, like the same do the same workout or maybe even beat a games level athlete in a workout or two uh, makes it seem really accessible however it's and it's it's a full-time job for most of the boys that are going to the games now or at least the only other thing that they're doing is kind of working in a gym on the side of that. So, um, yeah, I think it is one of those things that may seem like everyone's like, man, like, you know, I want games, I want to do this, I want to do that. Oh, unless you can kind of get a passport from somewhere, from some little country nowadays, seeing as that's how it works. But um, if you're talking about making the games and being a contender there, then, yeah, it's it's a full-time job, man. Like, it's, it's practicing everything and anything. Like, you've got to be, yeah, I mean, I train most days, four to five hours uh that's at a minimum and then that's not including kind of recovery stuff that's just in the gym how many hours i'm actually in the gym i wouldn't be training for that amount of time straight but because of the intensity of some of the pieces you might train 20 minutes you have to rest 20 minutes before you can do the next thing type thing. so that's just in, in the day of itself yeah probably about five hours in the gym and then if i'm doing outside the gym stuff if i'm doing recovery stuff on top of that so it's just a lot of work but it's uh it's super duper fun. I really enjoy it. So that's why I've been doing it for so long. Yeah, dude. Five hours of training a day is 
obviously not exactly accessible to the vast majority of people. How would you say that games athletes training is different from gen pop CrossFit? It's like with any professional sport, I think if you're training for health and longevity, your training should not be anywhere near the same as if you're training for performance. If you're training to be the best at a certain sport, you're not thinking about health and longevity. You're thinking about maximizing your athletic potential, uh, which, you know, that sort of volume probably isn't conducive to super, super, uh, like, healthy bodies and healthy joints and all that sort of stuff. So I think one of the key differences is that, yeah, it's it's a lot of a... It's a lot more volume. It's a lot lower intensity probably as well. So I think this is where people make a misconception. A lot of people think that if you're training for the games, you're in the gym and every workout you do is at extremely high intensity. I think years ago it was Rich Froning, I believe, that said that the reason he's so good is because 80% is better than everyone else's 100% or that he hits most workouts at 80% rather than 100%. And I'm a big believer in that. I think if you're doing the amount of volume need to do some of the skills and the modalities that you do as a games athlete you can't possibly do that at um 100 so you've got to get really really good at basically going into the gym moving really really well as well as possible if you're doing heaps of volume you can't be doing like crazy you can't be moving radically you have to move well um and get really good at doing lots of work at sort of 70 to 80 percent rather than going in, smashing yourself for 20 minutes once a day and then moving on from there, which is what a lot of the gen pop guys do. Yeah, I think for a lot of the gen pop people, obviously it's it's the one time of the day they're training. It might even be only one of potentially two or three sessions that they're doing that week. And so for them, it's a case of getting the most they want out of that session and really focusing on um feeling like they've put in all of the effort they can and, and getting that mental reward from that one session as much as it is about the actual physical um attributes do you think that the do you think that crossfit has been fundamental in encouraging men to do more effectively yoga really interesting question i don't know if i've ever given that much thought man i think it's definitely put mobility and flexibility training uh back on the radar particularly for blokes i think the i'm like if you want to be good at crossfit you've got to be able to do all the different movements right there's so many different movements and the number one thing about being like if you want to do different movements is being able to do uh, to get into the positions for them. And if you can't get into the position, you can't learn the movement, you can't learn the movement safely. So there's plenty of dudes I know out there and they're super duper fit, super duper strong, but they just can't snatch. And it's like, well, I can't snatch. I keep trying this, I keep trying that. And you watch the way that they move and then they've got no ankle mobility, they've got no shoulder mobility. And we'll never, it doesn't matter how much stronger you get, how much fitter you get, if you don't improve your ankle mobility and your shoulder mobility, you'll never get better at it. So it's, definitely given people like shows people that but um yeah it's definitely got a massive amount like like i think people are seeing the value that said i don't think people do it enough i think that people are kind of like yeah like it puts it back on the radar whether that means people are actually getting out there and nailing it uh fabian crossfit rookies uh got it got it up there that he does that that's good 
uh, there's plenty of people that could take the leaf out of that book because um, I think people like to go, yeah, 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 like we like it's on the radar, but they're not actually doing anything with it. Yeah, it's tricky. For most people who have a finite amount of time to train in their week, they've got other things going on. They've got kids to look after. They've got work to be at. They've got responsibilities at home, relationship, life, all of those other stresses. Like, what kind of split do you think is ideal for someone that maybe has like three hours a week to train between strength training, cardio, and yoga? In three hours a week is what I reckon. I reckon if you were gonna, if you had to divide that up, get three hours a week. Let's divide that into say four forty-five minute sessions. You could get in in that forty-five minute session, ten minutes to warm up. Uh, 25 minutes of like an EMOM or something like that where you can combine strength and conditioning and then I would spend the remaining 10 minutes stretching. So 10 minute warm up, 25 minute EMOM, 10 minute stretch. If I had 45 minutes a day to train uh, four days a week, that's exactly how I'd structure it. I actually have a program that we're putting out um, within the next few weeks which is a one hour athlete program and basically that's like 10 minute warm up an EMOM and then a 10 minute or like an interval style full session. So it might be for the first 10 minutes, you do some sort of weightlifting every two minutes. Then that will segue straight into some sort of conditioning interval where it's that time-based uh, task oriented. So uh, what I mean by that is that you have a certain thing to do within a given amount of time. That's how I've found the most effective way to train when you're under time pressure is that's Sure, people have different views on that, but that's the way that, yeah, I've always found it. So um, that's kind of how I would recommend people do it. If you're time poor, you can't fuck around. So going in, you've got to have something that keeps you accountable and that EMOM or every two minutes, every three minutes type training really, really works from that. It's in, yeah, in 2000 and between 2015, uh, 16, I had some injuries and I was pretty time poor. I made some adjustments to my schedule and my priorities in life, I guess, for that period. And I didn't have the time to train. So I was getting my training done in four sessions a week. They were 60 to 90 sessions and I still made it back to the games. And I was doing a hell of a lot of that kind of EMOM interval style stuff. That says a lot that when you're only training for such a small amount of time relative to the other competitors that you're even able to compete at such a high level. So obviously getting having a time restriction may be that it's more to do with what you fill that time with rather than the actual time itself. I know that when we look at kind of traditional training and what I mean by that is like bodybuilder type training and stuff in, in globo gyms, you just, you see people going in and they're on their phone and they're taking four or five minutes between sets and kind of getting lost in Instagram or checking out that girl that they're kind of fancy a little bit and they're yeah, not actually yeah. like getting the same intensity. I think that one thing CrossFit is definitely very good at is keeping you accountable to a time frame. Sometimes the the kind of time-based training is really good at getting a lot done in a short space of time and you you can't you can't let the pace drop because especially if you're doing an EMOM or an ECMOM as soon as you let that pace drop, your rest gets eaten into, and then mentally it's like, yep. God, I, I need to keep focused, otherwise this is not going to work. So yeah, well, if you've got a good coach as well, using those intervals or those, like, I'll, I'll 
rather than calling it an EMOM because some of them are longer than a minute long, I'll call them task-oriented time limited, so T-O-T-L, style of interval training is that if you've got a good coach, they can control the intensity of your session completely. So you can basically, if you know your athlete or if you yourself know you know what you're capable of and you want to work really, really, really hard, you can set yourself really aggressive targets. There are days when I want to get, like I need to do 20 minutes of conditioning. I want to elevate my heart rate for 20 minutes. Like at the end of the day, your body doesn't care whether you do 15 burpees in a minute or 17 burpees in a minute. It just cares about what your heart rate gets to. That's how you get fitter. So if I want to elevate my heart rate for 20 minutes, but I am not at all feeling like absolutely destroying myself, I know that, say, 15 burpees in a minute is a really comfortable amount for me. So I'll hit that and I'll put my I'll put my EMOM together. It's a lot less daunting uh, knowing that I'll be able to get the work done at a comfortable pace if I'm not feeling like going or on a day where I'm like, all right, I'm going to absolutely destroy myself. I know the numbers that I can put into those EMOMs for different movements. So like, cool, I try and do 20 calories on the row one minute, 20 burpees the next minute. And that's going to be a really tough day of training. Uh, for 20 minutes, I can go and try and hit that. So it gives you that complete control over the intensity you work at versus if you're doing, say, an AMRAP or something like that, That's it's super relative then. Like you can, you might think you're going hard and then you hear what other people are doing. You're like, oh, shit, like I was way lower than I should. Or you might think you're going to like at a cruisy pace, but then you blow out five minutes in because you went too hard and it just changes the stimulus of the workout. A lot of people are using... Uh, heart rate monitors, wrist straps, chest straps, um, that kind of thing to gain feedback of how intense their workouts are, are going. Do you use that much in your training? What's that, sorry? I was just reading one of the comments that someone left there, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people are using heart rate monitors, chest straps and that kind of stuff to gauge the intensity of their workouts. Do you use that much in your training? Yeah, I have started using a heart rate monitor, particularly for my, um, like exactly that, for my capacity work, just to kind of see, uh, first of all, like two different things. One is because I like to see uh, basically how I'm feeling. So if my heart rate's up, but I feel like the workouts are harder and I feel like my breathing is out, I like to kind of think, okay, what could potentially be off that's causing that? So like I use it as like, a means of checking the correlative between how I feel in a workout, how I'm breathing in a workout and what my heart rate's actually doing. And second of all, yeah, to kind of gauge the intensity, like, all right, cool, like, was this, uh, yeah, that. I, I think mostly the first one, though. It's mostly like for me to go, okay, that felt like a really hard workout. Let's see if I was actually pushing that hard or if maybe I'm, like, a little bit extra fatigued today or something's going on that's, like, outside the gym that's affecting my how I feel inside and go from there. It's a really cool tool for that. Yeah, I think it's great to give some perspective on the intensity of your training because your your rate of perceived exertion is not always in line with your actual exertion. And so yeah. exactly like you mentioned, if you're fatigued or if you've got other things psychologically that are weighing on your mind, it may be that that workout feels way harder than it actually was. And so having that feedback, yeah. that, that objective numbers to look at, you know, okay, actually that's something else that I need to be thinking about. So yeah. for um, for kind of complete novices, people that have never really done much training in the past, what would be your kind of top three pieces of advice for them if they're looking to get into some sort of fitness? Uh, 
first of all is to just do something and do it consistently. I'm not one of those people that's like, yeah, you've got to do train CrossFit or don't do F45 or don't do this, that, and the other. If you're moving, awesome. If you find something that you enjoy, that's going to be the best thing for you to do. So focus on finding something that you enjoy and doing that. It's There's heaps and heaps of research on uh, like, like the power of positive affect um, in helping with motivation and even performance as well. Uh, what that means is if you're doing something that you actually enjoy that elicits positive aff- uh, that elicits some positive affect from what you're doing, then yeah, you'll uh, you get to kind of like you'll ha- you'll be better at it and you'll stick at it easier. So rather than doing what you think you should do or what you think everyone else is telling you to do, if you really love one particular type of training. Find that and stick to it would be first. So, yeah, do what you enjoy. Second would be uh, master the basics. So, what I mean by that is like your basic lifts, your squat, your deadlift, your press, uh, learn to run well and fast, and then and you uh, master your own body weight, like do pull-ups and push-ups. People kind of jump in and they're like, they see someone snatching and they're like, or they walk into a CrossFit gym and they see people doing muscle ups and snatching and they go, yeah, I wanted to do that. But it's the basics that build up to that and it's where I see most people falling off the bandwagon. Uh, third and final would be make sure when you're training you have your heart rate elevated for a minimum of 20 minutes. That's kind of my big three for a newbie. Doesn't have, doesn't that mean you doesn't mean you have to go 20 minute unwrap or a 20 minute workout every day. You can elevate your heart rate for a minute, rest two minutes, and you're still going to have an elevated heart rate. I just think that it's important. Most people, this whole idea that like, yep, resistance training and all that sort of stuff, most people, particularly when they start a new, they're completely new to training, they have body composition goals. They don't do enough conditioning. They focus on like the, uh, like the bodybuilding type split that still kind of exists out there. And I think they shoot themselves in the foot because I think that there is so much value, like, I mean, I've been programming for the gym I train at, CrossFit Play, for seven years now, and we do t- minimum 20 minutes a day uh, of elevated heart rate. The same thing that we've done from the very first. Like, a lot of what I think about in training has changed, but that hasn't. That has been pretty consistent since day 20 minutes, uh, yeah, every day, elevated heart rate. So, would you say that? What would you say is more effective? Because a lot of people do have aesthetic goals, they have body composition goals, and that's why they look to get into training initially. What would you say is more effective, traditional bodybuilder-style workouts or CrossFit-style workouts to achieve that goal? Combine the two. I don't think they need to be mutually exclusive. I don't think you need to... You could do a body part split style. If you really want to get a mad pump into different body parts, you could do a body part split. You could do it with an elevated heart rate. Like that whole functional bodybuilding movement uh, and, you know, uh, there's a guy in Australia, Rob, who does a program called Cardio Bodybuilding. It's great. And he, uh, raw strength and conditioning, that is. It's exactly exactly what it says to me. It's cardio bodybuilding. You go and have a look at Rob's physique. He's a monster. Like, the dude's so jacked and so fit because he combines the two things. I don't think they need to be mutually exclusive. It's interesting, actually, because I... I come from an SNC background and did a lot of typical bodybuilding type training in the past, also played rugby. And then when I started CrossFit, um, because a lot of the workouts contain so much volume in a specific body part, say you're doing a, a, a workout and it's got handstand push-ups in it, I'd end up doing 50 handstand push-ups in a workout. 
And I ended up putting on like three kilos of muscle in the space of about six months from from doing CrossFit. And I honestly think that there's a uh, a thought process in a lot of people that you do CrossFit and you're going to lose your gains. It's a bit of a joke in certain certain senses. People make that joke. And I thought that was quite interesting. I actually put on like a heap of mass. The other interesting thing is that most CrossFit athletes are not inherently massive. You put a t-shirt on the lads and, you know, they blend in. Like, you wouldn't look at yourself yeah, and be like, he's massive. You'd be like, that's a, that's a fit bloke, clearly works out. But it's not like the same degree we see in bodybuilding. And no, not at all. the, the, the you capacity. You see that, like, with the dudes as well. Like, I think a lot of the guys, they look huge in, like, videos and stuff from the CrossFit Games because they're shirtless. Everyone's got a pump on and stuff like that. But you actually you're exactly right when you're hanging out with the fellas like you would walk past some of the most of the boys in the street like you said with clothes on and just kind of think oh it's like a dude that maybe looks like they go to the gym or like looks like they go to the gym and stuff and yeah sure like shirts off with a pump everyone like they look jacked and ripped and all that sort of stuff but i think um like yeah it's it's not i mean there is no aesthetic component to it so for starters you're also the, the other reason i find that people will put on mass when they start crossfit is typically they become more focused on performance so you're not going to perform as well in a massive deficit calorie deficit so you've got to kind of be at least eating at maintenance or maybe slightly above particularly if you're trying to get stronger as well. So you get these people that come from, maybe they come from like a more aesthetically minded uh, background and then they come into CrossFit and all of a sudden they're going to go, oh, like I'm more now interested in my performance because that's just kind of the way that the mindset shifts. They're going to start to maybe eat, they're going to eat more and that's going to be why they put on mass. And I was like, man, you know, like that's where, particularly for people yeah, that maybe come from a, not bodybuilding, like a huge, jack, massive bodybuilder might lose some mass, but someone that just kind of comes from like a general aesthetic background, maybe they'll put some on. Yeah, it's interesting actually. What is, we just had a comment come in uh, from Fabian. He said, I see athletes like Alex Smith. He looks more lean, but he lifts like a bodybuilder and it totally blows his mind. And that's interesting because when you talk about performance versus aesthetic, bodybuilders pure goal is to get big and look big and be ripped and so all of their training is just focused on hypertrophy whereas with crossfit athletes the focus is performance it's like how much strength can i get out of this muscle how much power how much capacity aerobically and so because of that there's not always the same aesthetic response as it would be if you're purely focused on hypertrophy and, um, now, there is a, there's a growing shift as well for CrossFit athletes to do more hypertrophy training, which is because for a variety of reasons, like having a bit of extra mass in certain muscle groups is going to help and also strengthening the joints to support through like the Olympic lifting, particularly for higher rep and stuff like that. So there is, yeah, a growing trend in that direction uh, to add in some bodybuilding style training on top of CrossFit, but yeah. Yeah, the functional bodybuilding movement, I think, really powerful. And it's good because CrossFit is about being great at everything. And so taking the best parts of all the different training modalities and putting them together, that's going to be the thing that allows us to get the most out of our training. Bear with me two secs. It would appear like Khan's experiencing some uh, Wi-Fi difficulties. We've just lost him for a second. 
give me two minutes and let's see if he magically comes back to life. <laughs> no, he doesn't, he's left. Okay, cool. We're gonna wait for Khan to come back on. So bear with me, guys. I'm sure it's just a few minutes. Here he is, he's back in. Sent me a little request. We're gonna go live, two seconds, and my boy's gonna be back in. It's what it is when you're working with technology and speaking to someone who's on the other side of the world. <laughs> it's amazing that we can do this and we can have this video chat, but obviously uh, dependent on Wi-Fi, unfortunately. It says it's connecting, so hopefully this will uh, come up pretty quick. But I'm hoping you guys are enjoying the content so far. We've been going through a lot of CrossFit focused content at the moment and actually we're going to be making a little bit of a shift in a second towards some nutrition and mindset stuff because i know that khan's a big advocate of um mental health and that's definitely something i want to be talking to him about uh, but obviously like makes sense to chat to the lad about what he's great at let's see if this works again We are waiting for Khan, it's connecting. I'm sorry to be wasting your time a little bit this evening, team. As always, if you have questions, you wanna get involved in the podcast, then just fire them in on the DMs. Here he is, my boy's back. What's going on, brother? Um, I think that gives us a great little segment into the next part of today's um, podcast. I wanna start talking to you a little bit about nutrition for a moment. Um, we did talk about it briefly for a second then. But what do you, do you have like a specific nutrition regime or do you have a specific thought process around food that you use to kind of supplement your, your training? Um, I think first and foremost is just making sure I'm getting enough food in. That would be number one. I am probably a little more relaxed when it comes to nutrition uh, than most people. So for me personally, uh, like... I think about it in like we have a certain amount of mental energy, we have a certain amount of willpower, we have a certain amount of that uh, capacity to use in a day. I've got my training to be dialed in and focused for, I've got study to be dialed in and focused for and work on top of that as well. So with my diet, that flexibility, what I mean by that is I will pretty much eat whatever I want whenever I want to eat it. So what that means though is doesn't mean that then I'm just going to go and eat junk food all the time. By having that flexibility and by having that easygoing approach towards diet and that sort of relationship with food, most of the time I want to eat good quality food. So like I feel better when I eat good quality food, I feel more energy, I recover better and all that sort of stuff. So for me, I think that just knowing though that if I do want a bar of chocolate or if I do want a bag of chips or something like that or a burger for dinner, I'll just have that allows me to then make better choices along the way rather than being extremely restrictive and um, fuck, fuck off <laughs> um, uh, rather than being extremely restrictive and like not and having that kind of negative oh if I eat this that's bad if I eat this that's bad it's like well if I eat this I've chosen to eat this cool it will taste good I'll probably eat something healthier now. I'll monitor basically the quality and quantity of my food based on how I feel when I'm training. Um, so if I feel heavy and slow, I'll look, okay, maybe I'm a little bit heavier at the moment. If I am, maybe I need to kind of dial things back in. 
But one thing that I have kind of um, tweaked a little bit is my timing of food, which is a mate of mine, Joshy. He has a nutrition company and he kind of gave me a few rough guidelines on uh, so just eating protein and carbs pre-training and not eating any fat before I train because apparently, I mean, I don't know much about nutrition or anything like that, but apparently the fat slows, uh, you don't metabolize it as easy, so it's harder to take energy from it. But yeah, other than that, man, I have a really relaxed approach to nutrition personally. Do I think that that's the best way to eat? I think that's the best attitude for everyone to have towards food. But then again, if you want to lose weight, you're probably like, if you're desperately trying to lose weight, then maybe you've got to be a little bit smarter with that. Yeah, dude, I think that, that you're lucky in that you're training so much. It means that you have such a large requirement for food. Um, yeah that it means you don't necessarily have to think about it so much. Now, I had a question come in from um, from someone earlier today, and they said, if I plan on losing weight, what meal plan would be good? Everyone says chicken and rice. Is is chicken and rice really the way to go about things now? I don't think so. Look, again, I'm not a nutrition expert. I don't really have any qualifications in fitness, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> um, but, like... The best diet is the one that you can stick to, and if if you if you can eat chicken and rice, if you really like chicken and rice, pump away at it. But like, if you don't, find a way that you can eat that's sustainable, that allows you to be in a deficit, like a slight calorie deficit. Stick to that for a long period of time, and you'll lose the weight. Don't try and do it super quickly because you'll bounce back. Like, I feel like most people try to overcomplicate the wheel when it comes to eating good. Like, we all know what's healthy. You know that eating a block of chocolate is not good. You know that drinking a six-pack of beer every night is not good. Like, there are – like, we know what good food is. We know what bad food is. Don't eat too much bad food. Focus on eating more good food and make the small changes that put you in that deficit so you can stick to it. Don't go, you know what? The only way for me to lose weight is to eat chicken and broccoli. I hate chicken and broccoli, but I'm just going to bash away at it and see what happens. Um, yeah, you'll probably lose weight. You probably hate a lot of that whole process and you'll create this whole negative experience around losing weight that's going to mean like in the future when you bounce back because you will because you won't eat chicken and broccoli forever it's going to be really hard for you to jump back on the bandwagon again so i would say find a way to put yourself in a slight calorie deficit um eat you know make sure you eat food that you enjoy eating along the way and view it more as just like that's just how you eat you're not on a diet it's just how you eat now yeah, man, I think that a lot of the time people try and follow a meal plan, someone else's plan. Someone else has oh, come yeah. up with something that works for them and they've gone, yeah, this is a great way to lose body fat. Um, and then someone goes, oh, cool, it worked for you, so it will work for me. Even though yeah, you have so. completely different tastes, completely different lifestyle, and it, it won't work in the long run because of exactly what you've just said. If you don't like it, yeah. you're not going to stick to it and it's not going to be a long-term solution so in terms no. of calorie deficit we're looking at like 10 15 maybe a 20 percent deficit something that you can sustain that's not going to completely ruin your mind because all you can think about is food so having something like you said that's consistent then you're going to be able to uh to stick to that awesome dude um i had another question coming regarding nutrition as well um I thought this was quite an interesting thought process. Is simply being aware of the food I'm getting enough to stay healthy or do I really need a diet? What's your take on that? Uh, I guess 
I believe awareness is the first step towards making meaningful change in anything. So I like a 3A approach, awareness, acceptance, then action. So I think being aware to start with is massive. Like just becoming aware of what you're eating it was the first step. Obviously, like I could be aware that I'm eating McDonald's five times a day and then go, sweet, like that's, and then nothing changes and I don't lose any weight. But yeah, awareness is the first step. You've got to take action if you want to make change, but. 100%. I don't think, like I said, you don't. I don't think you need to follow a diet. I think this whole idea of like I am on the X diet or I am on the Y diet. I don't think that that is necessarily the most conducive way to uh, long-term lasting change. But you know, if if you're one of those people, like some people get a lot out of that whole idea of I've been doing heaps of reading on like how to kind of because like train eat live depending on which personality trait is strongest in you so you've got some people that are really high conscientious really high kind of uh like that structure and rigidity in their life and they get enjoyment out of that so if you're someone that falls into that category maybe following a diet like a really strict diet with guideline will bring you joy because you get joy out of that rigidity you get joy out of that kind of structured approach to everything that you do cool if that's you go for it if you're someone like me that's a massive scatterbrain has no interest in doing that sort of stuff it's not going to work don't then try to bash your head against the wall and do it you've got to figure out what works for you and do that and what you enjoy you're going to do it if you don't yeah man I think that if people can learn some of the fundamentals of nutrition for themselves like just you're talking about the basic stuff like Mm. generally to eat whole foods is a smart approach generally that you need to be eating adequate protein and knowing the basic differences between some carbohydrates. Like what's the difference between sugar and starchy carbohydrates and how do they affect your body? Just that kind of stuff. It's like stuff that will allow people to be able to make decisions for themselves so they're not forever asking somebody else for the solution. They can eventually, they can do it for themselves and become self-sufficient. I think that's kind of the, the, the way to go really. Now, dude, yeah. I want to. I was really make, wanted to make sure that we got enough time to talk about the next topic because I know that mental health is something that is really important to you. You're an ambassador for Are You Okay? And so I wanted to make sure that we've got plenty of time to do that, bearing in mind that Instagram right. will cut us off on the hour. It has a, okay. a strict time limit. <laughs> cool. So I think that um, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, what does mental health like? How do you personally define mental health? Oh, good question, and one that I gave a lot of thought to over the last little while, like mental health awareness or mental health month awareness month. And I think personally, mental health is no different to our physical health. So the same way that there are people tuning in and listening to this, and that you're asking questions about training and nutrition. Looking after your mind is no different, in my opinion, to looking after your body. So that doesn't just mean the presence or absence of illness, which is what a lot of people kind of pigeonhole mental health. They hear mental health, they think it's like super synonymous with words like, say, depression, anxiety, all those sorts of things. And I think to talk about mental health is only to talk about those illnesses, mental illness. For me, mental health encompasses everything from how you're able, are you able to focus, are you able to uh, communicate and connect with people, are you able to manage your 
really heightened emotions like stress, anger, sadness, all that sort of stuff. It doesn't, it's basically how healthy your mind is. You know, are you, are you viewing everything on so online with a negative lens, all these sorts of things rather than it just being the presence or absence of illness. So to me, mental health, talking about mental health is just another aspect of total wellness and no different to physical, like, you know, talking about looking after your mental health should be no different to talking about going to the gym. The same way that you tell your buddies, hey, man, like, I went to the gym yesterday, should be the same way that you tell your buddies, oh, like, you know, I saw my therapist yesterday, or, man, like, I, uh, uh, I don't know, like, I've been doing, like, I did my meditation this morning, I've been doing my journaling, whatever it is that you do to look after your mental health, uh, it should be the exact same thing. So I think that we need to broaden the scope through which we view mental health. Mate, I honestly completely agree with you and uh, you did a post about it and it really resonated with me about exactly that because something that I've always had the impression of and I think most people do is that exactly that mental health is only for terms associated with depression, anxiety, stress, worry, all these negative terms which are obviously an aspect of mental health, but we're looking at it from only the negative side of things. Like, I think like, how can we maximize our mental health? How can we go from like zero to like plus 10, instead of always yeah. just thinking it about getting from a negative state Bringing into that normal. Yeah, man, yeah, completely. exactly right, man. And it's like, you wouldn't tell a fit person, hey, you don't need to work out anymore because you're already fit. Yes. Right? It's exactly the analogy that I use. You wouldn't say, hey, you know what, just because maybe you are like, you know, you're not experiencing a mental health illness, a mental illness doesn't mean that like maybe, you know, life's fucking crazy. Life's wild. Shit happens like that. And if you don't have the tools or the support systems in place or strategies to employ when shit does hit the fan, like what are you going to do? Or like, you know, like if you are at that kind of baseline, what can you achieve if you are, you know, able to tie your focus up, take your focus up a level, or if you're able to take your, um, you know, anxiety down even more, whatever that is. I think one of my buddies, he and I had a conversation about this, and he was saying that he went to see a therapist a while ago, and that they were seeing each other regularly for a specific issue. And he's like seeing them regular, like seeing him once a week, and then he dropped back to like once a fortnight, he dropped back to once a month, and he was saying that the thing that he went to see the therapist for was relatively taken care of, if you will. It's like he still goes and sees him regularly just to check in, just to chat to someone that's completely objective um, once a month. You know, like shit's going to happen in a month that you're like, oh man, like there's a decision that I have to make that I would love some advice on or that I would love to kind of talk through with someone who doesn't really know me separate to this situation, isn't going to be biased in some way, shape or form or influenced by their own agenda. Go and chat through something with that person. There is so much benefit to that. And he kind of, he talks about it as like, yeah, it's just like going and catching up with a really emotionally woke friend is how he described it. I was like, that's so cool that how cool would it be if that was normalized to the point where people would just took that same approach like yeah i'm just gonna go once a month chat to someone who has training in like decision making and all like the way that the human mind works go and chat to that person once a month or it doesn't even have to be once a month once a quarter once every three months to just deload all the shit that you've been going like all the shit that's going on get it off your chest 
in a safe space, you know, it's not as confronting as talking. It's sometimes it's not as confronting as confiding in a friend or family member who can be kind of like you're, you're worried because you're gonna have to see that person regularly. You see this person once a month, once every few months. Uh, you unload, and then you don't really have to communicate with them outside of that. It's so much benefit to that, but it's still this kind of taboo topic. It's still kind of like, oh no, that's just reserved for the people that are unwell. And you know, if we kind of all became more conscious of it, then those people that are actually suffering a mental illness, it's going to make it a lot easier for them to then be open about their own journeys. And that's going to be the best thing for them. Plus, it's going to move us towards a place of understanding that mental health can and does affect so many people. Like, if we, the more we kind of talk about it, the, the better it'll be understood. And, yeah, I, like that's, that's my dream if you will that yeah one day it will be mental health will be spoken about the same way as any other aspect of health well i mean the way you just described it then is almost like you're going to see a pt for your mind like yeah, people go exactly. to see a pt for their body all the time and that's cool so like yep. effectively it's the same thing you're going to see someone yep. to get some professional insight or opinion or something from someone that has a better understanding of this topic than you and yeah they'll help you with that thing that. PT for your mind. i really like that that's really cool yeah it's, the, it's exactly what it is you can have or it should be. <laughs> <laughs> dude I, that's like i think that that's it seems like to me the world is going in that direction a little bit like there's definitely more people talking about mental health there's definitely a transition in a way to being more mentally aware and having more openness about what's going on i think social media is actually doing quite a big thing for that the fact that you and i can have this conversation people can duck in and duck out and they can hear us talking and i think that the fact that people might look at you or might look at me and assume one thing and assume maybe like we're fitness blokes you know we're guys that just care about what we look like or you know fitness freaks is a term that people threw around like 10 years ago and now for us to be having this conversation about mental health and the different types of mental health and that it's not just a negative thing, but there's also massive strengths to be considered as well, that even just this conversation helps um, for people to kind of take a step forward. And yeah, like the conversation is starting, but we've got to, I reckon we've got to go deeper. Like awareness is there, like there is awareness, it's fucking everywhere. Like you, you, you are hard pressed to jump on social media nowadays without seeing someone speaking about mental health. But I feel like there's like it's always done at arm's length. It's always like, yep, like, hey, if you're suffering mental health issues, make sure you do something. There's no one going like, hey, yep, I'm. This is how I'm looking after my mental health, or this is what I'm doing. What well, there is, sorry, there's not no one, but there needs to be more people that are taking action and sharing how they're taking action personally, rather than just kind of putting it as like a, you know, you go do your thing if you're on that kind of. Bless you. Me. <laughs> it's like that whole idea of if, if like people yeah rather than just sort of saying hey yeah if you're going through something you know good for you and do your thing and make sure you're okay i think if we're gonna actually make some sort of change to the rapid rates of mental health incidents and like suicide in young men particularly then oh I'm not gonna, am I going to sneeze? No, I'm not going to sneeze. Oh, mate, I hate <laughs> that. That's the worst. It's like the biggest anticlimax when you're about to sneeze yeah. and it just disappears. <laughs> but yeah, then we've got to actually kind of start talking about it, not at arm's length, like dive headfirst into the awkward conversations and make them less awkward because, 
It's the, oh fuck, I keep. <laughs> there it is. Oh, bro. It's <laughs> coming. I just don't know where it is. But yeah, I, like I think we're moving in the right direction and it's cool. Good, good. Do you, okay, let's, let's take that then. Let's take that sentiment. What are your mindfulness practices? Like what do you do to kind of strengthen your mental health? So I see a therapist once a week, usually, a psychologist. I am heavily into reading about that sort of stuff. Like I'm studying a degree in psychology and now a diploma in counseling as well. So one, why, why do one fucking study when you can do two? I'm <laughs> yeah. not quite sure what we're thinking about then. But um, yeah, so learning about it as well. I see a therapist regularly. I have also regular catch-ups with my mates where we just talk about mental health. Like I have a really, um, I make a massive point of speaking really openly with my mates and encouraging them to do the same. So we have a really good kind of crew that are really open about that sort of stuff. So we also, um, yeah, like just open communication with close friends about mental health, uh, both my own and theirs. And also, um, I do a lot of writing. So a lot of the time, if I have really pervasive thoughts that I can't get rid of, I'll write. Uh, like, you call it journaling if you want. Or like for me, it's more creative writing as a form of expression and a form of dealing with those thoughts and processing them. I try to meditate as regularly as possible. I go through stages where I'm really, really good. I go through stages where I'm pretty terrible. I've been pretty good recently. Um, and then, yeah, making sure that I also set aside specific time. So for me, I typically try to block out half a day at least during the week, right? Just do stuff for me. It's just me time. Um, and that's, I do things that are purely things that I enjoy. There is no ulterior motive. There's no purpose to them other than I enjoy that. It might be that I go for massage, then go and watch a movie at the cinema or something like that. Or I go out for dinner and we go watch a movie after that. Like there is at least, yeah, half a day once a week that is just do shit that I enjoy. Maybe a bit of ghost recon as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I just bought Spider Man, this game, the new game for PlayStation. That's one of my favorite things. Oh, like, <laughs> that's another, it's a good one though. Like, yeah, I will take blocked out times of the day where I'm like, sweet, I'm going to play Nintendo Switch or PlayStation for like an hour now just to deload my brain and not be trying to do something productive. I think we're obsessed with what are we doing now? How are we being as productive as possible? What are you doing? What are you doing? How are you working towards X, Y, Z? Um, and if we don't sort of take that mental downtime, then I think we can frazzle ourselves. I know I certainly have plenty of times. Are you taking it and you've got like an hour in your diary, you go, okay, cool, this is my time, I'm just gonna chill, and you're like playing for a certain amount of time? I try to be pretty, I'd say it's more ad hoc than that. It might be like, oh, cool, like I've got nothing on this afternoon or like particularly Thursdays for me are a good day because I don't, uh, if I'm training, it's usually just one session at the pool for about an hour or like some light stretching stuff. So I'm not doing a lot Thursdays typically and I'll try not to book too much in on Thursday just so hopefully like in terms of meetings or work and everything. So hopefully I can then take half a day there. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of ad hoc. It might turn out that it's like, oh, okay, like I finished my training. I trained with someone today and I finished my training a little bit early. So I'll duck home. I've got maybe a few hours before my partner gets home. Um, I'll just play PlayStation until she gets home and then we'll hang out together and spend quality time together if we can. 
Decent, mate. Decent. Um, you talked about having like open communication with your friends. I know that a lot of lads might be a little bit apprehensive and a little bit nervous about doing that. Um, how would you suggest that they kind of approach that subject or approach that kind of conversation with their friends? If they feel like they want to talk, like, how would you suggest they do that? Oh, man, it, it's crazy. Like, it typically just takes one person, right? It typically just takes one person to open up, to open the floodgates for everyone to start to open up as well, uh, which can also be extremely overwhelming. It can be overwhelming both to have to open up to people and it can be extremely overwhelming to be on the receiving end of someone opening up to you. So there's, oh, man, like, that's such a long question and there is so many things that you can talk about with that. I guess... Start, start small, start just opening up to one person. Like if you've got just one person that you can open up to, uh, you can swap set, share stories with them. That's awesome. And then maybe that will pave the way to creating more of an entire kind of group dynamic where people do that. But um, yeah, uh, if you've got a lot, write it down so you can reference that back when you're talking to them. A lot of the time, particularly when you're really emotional, if you want to talk to someone, it can be really hard to remember everything that you wanted to say, so write it down. But ultimately, just do it. Like, it sounds kind of, uh, yeah, it sounds kind of pretty straightforward. Well, in a, in a shorter way, without going like, okay, here are the steps, just creating like saying this, and here are all the steps to follow if someone says to you that they're not doing well, because there's a lot of stuff that you could go through with that. But I think in the few remaining minutes that we have, uh, yeah, I would say just take that first step because if you're the first one, like being the catalyst, often that will then open the floodgates. Like I said, pretty much everyone's got shit that they're going through. Like everyone's weird in their own way. Everyone's got shit that they're dealing with. You're not the only, you're not the only weirdo in the world. So a lot of the time by creating that, by starting the conversation, you are literally just doing that. You're starting the conversation, but other people are going to open up and share as well as a part. Start yeah. small though, pick one person, one or two people to start with um, that you just chat to and then yeah, if it can grow to something that your whole sort of friend circle are comfortable talking about, then power to you guys because I know how beneficial it is for both myself and plenty of my mates that we can do that, that we do have that kind of support um, around us and yeah, I, like, fuck, I don't, like everyone deserves that, everyone should be able to do that. Yeah, I've definitely found that, like, I've actually found that lads are more willing than you'd think to, to talk about this kind of stuff. And it is definitely, you just have to, sometimes you just have to be that catalyst to initiate the conversation. But it is that people want to talk. If you ask questions as well, people generally want to talk. Um, and we all have to kind of start somewhere. Um, so what we all crave as human beings is connection and understanding. The only way to truly connect and to truly understand one another is to share our experiences. And that starts with open communication. Yeah, man. And that's actually, a, that's a really good point. Like the whole open communication thing is something that, ironically, women have been telling us to do for ages. <laughs> like they've just been looking for a guy that's in touch with his emotions and wants to talk about them. And like, it's happening. Like it's happening now. And I think this is a, a great time for us to be alive and be in relationships but on the yep. flip side like what typical masculine traits do you think are quite toxic in a relationship are you talking about in a relationship uh with like a girl or in like yeah. with your mates when you're trying to talk about that 
that sort of stuff. What traits are toxic? I think some of the most toxic traits I think is closed-mindedness. Uh, I think control as well. Trying to, and that goes both ways. I don't think it's exclusively men that try to control women. I think it can be the other way as well. But I just think that those, like a relationship should be open and like you should encourage communication and you should feel comfortable to be able to talk to your partner as well. Like if you, yeah, if you, and, and a lot of the time that kind of dynamic of like a control, like where one person's trying to control the other or you're both trying to control each other or it's like a, you know, that insecure attachment model is so detrimental. And I think that that's kind of, in the past, it's always like, oh, you know, it's like the, the chick's the insecure one that's overly attached and everything like that. But I feel like that dynamic has been massively changed and there is a lot of extremely insecure men, particularly in relationships. Uh, when a man feels insecure, I feel like they're more likely to not know how to deal with those emotions and that's when they can become, it can become a destructive relationship. That insecurity can come through a lot of different things, like particularly I think men aren't effective at dealing with shame. So I think it's really easy for a man, you know, to look at the old school kind of archetypal masculine traits such as being a provider or all these sorts of stuff. You know, the world's changing so rapidly if a man's not adhering to those classic kind of examples of what a man is supposed to be, they might start to feel shame and resentment toward, and they take that out on their partner. Uh, so, yeah, I think learning to deal with those complex emotions, like we said, mental health is learning to deal with complex emotions. And I think that it's really important for men to learn how to, whether or not, that, first of all, which of these complex emotions maybe is triggering them and how to deal with those. Mate, that's a great answer. I love that. And one point you you mentioned very pass, briefly in passing is attachment style. And I assume, have you read the book Attached? No. Okay, so that's interesting. So, so like stuff that I've studied. Oh, cool, man. Well, so this is a book that, that really kind of helped me understand my own attachment style. And um, so anyone that wants to, to read this book or listen to it, which is what I always do, I listen to the books all the time. It's called Attached and it describes our kind of three key attachment styles of either insecure, anxious or um, attached. So Sorry, secure, insecure or attached. And it's... Um, it's really interesting because it shows how like certain behaviors kind of where they come from and how different types of attachment style are not necessarily um, able to work together in harmony. And so like kind of being aware of, of who you are and how you react to things will allow you to then go into relationships and see better success in those relationships. That sounds like a lot add that to the list it's called attached i'll look it up i'll get the details off you after this because i'd love to read it it's sick mate honestly i've been getting into a lot of this stuff recently and listening to a lot of books and that's um that's one which i got through quite quickly it's relatively simple it gives a lot of um examples to kind of demonstrate what's been going on um i think the last the last thing i want to ask you about and you did touch on it a second briefly is what it is to be a man in 2019 because the the, the the definitions out the window these days what do you think it is to be a man in 2019 uh, as far as I'm concerned being a man is oh no we've got an absolute nightmare <laughs> okay so Instagram has just cut us off mid-sentence it gave me no countdown it just cut the live so 
Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get Khan's answer, but I'm sure that he um, he provided a fantastic one. He's probably reeling it off now, and I can't hear it. I'm absolutely gutted that we've not been able to get that. But ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you enjoyed tonight's live, tonight's podcast with Khan Porter. Um, we got through some absolutely fantastic stuff. I think you can agree he was a brilliant guest, and... Um, we've really managed to cover off a whole bunch of topics. So I'm going to wrap things up there. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for listening to this. Thank you so much for giving me a lovely five-star review. I appreciate that in advance. And if you want to get your questions in, if you want to be asking me or my guests questions related to training, nutrition, or mindset, then all you have to do is drop me a message in the DMs. Make sure you follow me on Instagram first at david.bertwistle and then you can slide into the DMs, get your questions in there and I will get them answered. Thank you so much for paying attention and, and listening to everything, guys. I hope you had a great day, a great evening, a great afternoon. I hope you're loving whatever you're doing and I hope you learned a little bit of something from us today, guys. I'm going to leave you there. Wish you all the best and see you soon. Bye.